Here's a really special deal on a great product from our friends over at Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. You can now receive a $39 bottle of artisanal fresh pressed oil free if you just pay $1 to help cover shipping. And there's nothing else you must buy now or ever. It's a wonderful opportunity because with olive oil, my number one rule is the fresher, the better. That's because the olive is a fruit and olive oil is actually a fruit juice. Like any other fruit juice, extra virgin olive oil is at its glorious peak of freshness, flavor, and nutritional potency when fresh squeezed. And that's what's missing with so many supermarket olive oils. After sitting on the shelf for months or even years, they've lost their freshness and can't compare with just pressed Evu shipped direct from the new harvest. Here at Milk Street, we really like these oils' vibrant, grassy flavors, as well as the intoxicating aroma, just like a garden in a bottle. Prove it yourself with no obligation to buy anything ever. For your free $39 bottle direct from an award-winning artisanal farm, go to getfresh177.com. That's getfresh177.com. One last time, getfresh177.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Buying furniture is not easy. You want well-designed pieces that fit into a modern lifestyle, yet the look should be timeless. And you want a custom experience creating furniture designed specifically for your space. My suggestion is that you check out Cozy, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture for modern living. Their high-quality products are delivered quickly and are easy to assemble. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, and credenzas. Their outdoor collection features high-quality modular sofas and sectionals made for outdoor living. You can visit their store in Toronto. Cozy now has expanded from an online market to their first in-person space, or go directly to their website at Cozy.com. That's C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com to start customizing your furniture today. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know, Julia Child may be a legend today, but for many of us, like my co-host Sarah Moulton, she was also a mentor and a friend. 
A few weeks ago, Sarah sat down with our social media team at Milk Street. She spoke with Whitney Kimball, who moderated the conversation, and also Sydney Manning, for whom Julia was a true inspiration. Here's Whitney Kimball with Sydney Manning and Sarah Moulton. How I first met Julia is the, is the question? Yeah. Um, I met her over some hard-boiled eggs. Uh, I was the chef manager of a catering operation in Cambridge called Carison Row Caterers. And one of my workers and I were peeling a million hard-boiled eggs for something. And we talked about how Julia did her eggs, which was to not boil them. And my worker, her name was Barrett Pratt, said, you know, I'm a volunteer on Julia Child's show. Um, and I was like, Really? So she introduced me to Julia. Now I went down to the corner payphone because there were no cell phones back then and called Julia and she picked up. She was listed. So all these people would call her on, th- I mean, Thanksgiving, you know, and, and she'd have to talk them off a ledge because they, you know, can I cook my turkey that's been in the heated garage for five days? And she'd tell them to order pizza. But any rate, uh, she got right on the phone and she said, oh, hello, dearie, I've heard all about you. Do you want a food style? And so I did a lot of quick thinking in my head. I had not done any professional food styling at that point. It wasn't the codified art that it is now. So I, what did I say? What would you have said? Yes, I'm very good. And so I got the job. Um, So that's how I met Julia. And then because of that, it was a lifetime uh, relationship. Um, She opened a million doors. She became a good friend I got to do the last interview with her the year she died for a special for the Food Network. So it was, hands down, besides my husband, the most important relationship I think I had. I mean, she had a lot of other children like me uh, who she mentored. And she just, if you had excitement, she wanted to be with you. And I think she understood, you know, that young people are the next wave and you have to embrace them. Yeah, that's actually um, sort of related to why I wanted to pair you two. Obviously, Julia Child continues to attract young fans even 50 years after the French chef stopped filming. And Sydney, my coworker, who's in her early 30s, has just this incredible wealth of Julia Child knowledge. She can answer practically any Julia Child trivia question um, on a dime and she attributes Julia Child to the reason she got into food in the first place. Sydney, how did you first get acquainted with Julia Child? I think my first teeny tiny mini introduction was my mother and I were watching an episode of The Cosby Show in like the mid-90s, and there is an episode where Cliff and Theo are like going to make dinner for the family, And as Cliff is explaining the cooking instructions to Theo, he starts doing Julia's voice, which was like a huge, like it was a huge crowd pleaser. And I said like, mom, that's silly. Why are they doing this voice? And she's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's a a, a TV host on, you know, PBS, Julia Child. But that was kind of it. Um, It wasn't until I watched Julia and Julia when I was in college and I could not cook for myself at all. And literally by the end, as the credits were rolling, I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to cook. And then I went to Brookline Booksmith and I bought Mastering the Art of French Cooking and I bought My Life in France and it went from there. That book, My Life in France, which is based, was the, she did the year she died with her nephew, um, are her words. And it's, it's so wonderful to read it. You can just hear her. And that's what that movie was based on. 
uh, Julie and Julia, uh, the Julia half of it anyway. And I think that's why it resonates so much with all of us, because it was true Julia. A follow-up to that is every time I hear you or Sydney or um, anybody who's really enthusiastic about Julia Child describe her, it's almost never about the recipes. Um, Sarah, you've described them as almost unrealistically complicated, um, like that lobster bisque. 11 pages long, that lobster bisque. I know because my son wanted to have a dinner party. And um, unbeknownst to me, he suddenly said this when he was 13. And he said, and I want to have a choice of soups, either matzo ball soup, my husband's Jewish, or lobster bisque. And I was like, hell, I haven't made lobster bisque since I was in cooking school. So I went to Mastering the Art of French Cooking. 11, page, 11 pages later, I was like, forget about it. I ain't doing that. So I made it my own thing. But you're right. Um, when I was working on the show in 1979, it was the um, Julia Child and Moore Company was the specific season that I worked on. And our job was we developed the recipes as we did the show, which is unheard of. You don't do that. Um, and I remember a couple of recipes, um, gâteau de crêpes, you know, which was layers of crêpes with stuff in between, and bon trois chocolat. They took us more than 10 tries. The bomb in particular took us 13. And there were so many different parts of it. Yeah, there was nothing simple about it. I mean, it was crazy because she really did get people cooking, but it wasn't because the recipes were simple. Sydney, was it the recipes for you? or No, because I think those would have been so far beyond like my level of comprehension at the time. I think it was just that I had felt really hopeless. Like I had bought some kind of like bargain bin cookbooks before that and that were probably not tested at all. And so every time I would try to cook something, it did not taste good. And after that and seeing that she kind of developed this passion later in life, I was like, well, if she can do it, then I can do it. And I can do it. Yeah, that reminds me, you've... You've said that Julia Child is an inspiration to late bloomers everywhere. Is that part of your fascination with her personally? In a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like, like personally, I don't think I've achieved everything that society says that I'm supposed to have at, at my age. And she got all of the major things so much later in life and beautiful. Like their relationship just seemed, with Paul seemed so exactly what you want, exactly what you're, what you're taught to look for, somebody who respects you, somebody who adores you, and a true partner. And I think that's so amazing, but also that she found her real career later in life as well, which is really inspiring. Um, Whitney, I was going to say to your comment before about if it wasn't about the food, what was it about her that kept us going? She was such a character. She was really one of the funniest people I ever met. She just saw things for exactly what they were, but she had lovely manners. So she would never be rude, but she would call it for what it was. Can you give us an example? Well, there's a famous one, but it's somewhat X-rated. And this is, uh, this is, you can't say bad words on radio, can you? No, it's fine. This is going on YouTube. Okay. <clears throat> well, it's actually been, it's in the documentary about her. And so people have heard this, but um, uh, the context was there was a mutual friend of all of ours who sort of had the perfect life and the perfect husband and the perfect world. But she was so busy with her career that uh, her husband ran off with some young chippy, right? So her world fell apart. 
And so Julia called me up and said, um, let's call her Susie. I don't, I'm not going to tell you her real name. And Julia said, oh, dearie, did you hear about what happened to poor old Susie? And I was like, oh, yeah, Julia's really sad. You know, I'm so sorry because, you know, she, this was her world. And Julia said, well, you know something, dearie, she forgot the three F's. And I was like, uh, what are those? And she said, well, you've got to feed them, f them, and flatter them. <laughs> and I went home and told my husband, and he said, she's so right. <laughs> so, I mean, she was just um, smart about life. Although one would say that is also a very old-fashioned Sort of, even though she had this enormous career, she was still somewhat traditional. It, you know, another one is she was doing something in, I don't know, Finland, and the sponsor of the show was um, aluminum foil of some kind. And so they had her, so the chef who was doing the demo wrapped the fish in like 500 layers of foil. And she kept standing, and of course, this is the sponsor, and she's like, um, I'm confused. I mean, that's a awful lot of foil. I mean, really, do we need so much foil? I mean, are we going to have another layer? And, you know, she just kept going and it was hysterical. I mean, you had to see it. But what I mean is she's calling it for what it is. Sarah, kind of relatedly, you've said that one of the indispensable pieces of advice that Julia gave you was to not be afraid to make mistakes on camera. Um, I was wondering why that's so important. It was extremely important um, because if she was willing, and she went out of her way after a while by the time I'd met her. I mean, a lot of those things happened. Let, I mean, honestly, she was quite klutzy. Um, so she dropped things. She did cut herself. You know, that Dan Aykroyd piece was based on something that had actually happened. You know, when, by the time I met her, um, so she's moved on from just the French chef, she went out of her way to make mistakes so she could show you how to fix them. And stuff would happen. And they'd never reshoot anything because her feeling was this is a good thing. And my feeling is that was part of her empowerment, part of the reason that Sydney enjoyed her and I enjoyed her. Because if she was willing to make a mistake on national TV, why should we worry about what we do in the privacy of our own kitchens? Another thing she said, <clears throat> which I have plastered in my kitchen, is never apologize, never explain. So people have a habit uh, when they have people over for dinner, particularly if you're a bit of a perfectionist and you really want to do a good job, to tell everything, to tell everyone all the things you did wrong with dinner. Um, and I'm no different. Uh, and my family has to remind me constantly, you know, so you'll say, I'll say, oh, it needed to be reduced more. Oh, it needed some acid. Oh, I should have added some chilies. Oh, the sugar's overbearing, whatever. And, um, Julie said, no, you know, people are having a good time. Don't ruin their evening. They don't know any better. And if something, there's really very few things you can't fix. So um, if something goes wrong, just reposition it. You know, your souffle falls, call it a pudding cake and, and believe it, you know. Now, as somebody who lied to get the job and said I was good at food styling, I really should have learned that, you know, it worked. Um, Sarah, since you met Julia Child, she's obviously morphed into this kind of pop culture figure. Um, and I was wondering whether you think that's a good thing, ultimately? You know, I, I think it's, I'm I'm fine with all this celebrity. I mean, some people are just saying enough already. But you know what? It, like Sydney said, 
she's really an inspiration for women. Um, she didn't look, she didn't have cleavage, you know, which a lot of celebrity chefs have these days. She didn't have a normal voice. She didn't behave normally. You know, she slapped the food around. Um, she was a champion for women, even though not sort of an obvious feminist. But I remember going out to dinner with her and inevitably she'd get invited in the kitchen and a lot of times I'd tag along and she'd go in and she'd get the lay of the land and then she'd say to the chef, inevitably a man, where are all the women? You know, so she did her thing um, to promote women. Um, but I have to say, even seeing this new one, and by the way, I got over myself and now I'm really enjoying it. Um, she's just good energy. You know, it, it's really horrible times we're in right now it, it, at so many levels, so many things, so that to watch something that just makes you feel good, I just get happy watching her, you know? I think that's um, something that was a big deal during the height of the pandemic as well, is that it's not about being perfect. Like, it literally just leveled the playing field. And I think we just want to go back to when it was more authentic, when it does feel more relatable, when you're really just watching a person cooking something and not trying to sell you more than a recipe. Yeah, sort of on that topic of making cooking fun and accessible, um, do you think that there was a limit to the expected ability of home cooks before Julia? God, yes. I mean, what had happened was after World War II, you know, when there was rationing and everything, people got into convenience foods, and it was considered cool to have a frozen dinner, you know? It was like, why should women spend so much time? And it, unfortunately, it was women, you know, except when you got professionals and then they were all men. But why should women spend so much time in the kitchen? Let's use all these convenience foods. And it was pretty dreary. I mean, it's pretty bad food. Let's, you know, high sodium, high sugar, highly processed, you know, um, away from real food. And Julia, you know, came on the scene and just said, no, this will not do because she spent time in France, you know, and she made... Um, tried to make the home cook be a real advocate. So if you go to your supermarket and they don't have leeks and shallots, don't accept that. Tell the produce guy you want leeks and shallots. Sarah, you've also mentioned that Julie advised you to always smile. I was wondering whether that cheerfulness was part of a disarming strategy. I think it was more that she wanted to show it was fun. And it's not just about cooking and dining. It's about dining as well. It's a lifestyle you know, it's interesting about the smiling thing. She did smile all the time. You're absolutely right. And when I started on the Food Network, which was in April of 1996, about three months in, I had her on as a guest. Uh, you can imagine I was pretty nervous. Um, we did, did we do hard-boiled eggs? I think we did. Um, so afterwards, they sent in a professional photographer to take pictures of the two of us. And Julia put her big arm around me and said, come on, dearie, now smile, say champagne. <laughs> so I did. And I thought, you know, she's telling me something here. You got to smile. And actually, that became something that A, I got very good at. And B, I made sure everybody else was too. So I did over 1,500 shows for the Food Network. Probably about 500 of those I had a guest. 
So among other things, I'd say smile constantly and for no particular reason, just do it. And um, my feeling about that is it really helps to get your message across I mean, you don't want to look like a stupid idiot just smiling, but you smile frequently. It helps to convince people that you mean what you're saying. And among other people that I taught that to was Rachel Ray. And to this day, um, she says that. She said, Sarah taught me how to smile. Well, Julia taught me how to smile. And I, so in that sense, I think she was 100% right that you, your message is just better if you do smile. But in terms of the rest of it and the goofiness, I think that was just, it's fun. Let's have fun. Let's stop taking ourselves so seriously. That was Whitney Kimball with Sidney Manning and Sarah Moulton. Coming up, we'll hear more Julia stories from Stanley Tucci, Dory Greenspan, and Alice Randall. We'll be right back. I'm Christopher Kimball, and now here's a word from our friends at Allagash Brewing Company, who love food as much as we do here at Milk Street. Hi, this is Jason Perkins. I'm the brewmaster at Allagash, and I've been making Allagash White in Portland, Maine since 1999. So a white beer is a very old style of beer. Traditionally, it was brewed with spices of some type, typically coriander and orange peel. And I think one of the things that makes Allagash White distinctive and different is the rare combination of complexity and drinkability. And it's sometimes remarkable to stop and realize that I never get tired of it you know I'll open a can or I'll pour a glass and the first sip and I'm like man this beer is good (laughs) there are a lot of different ways that folks can enjoy an Allagash White and here are some of the examples of what folks here at the brewery like to do My favorite thing to pair with an Allagash White is simple, beautiful seared scallops over a bed of fresh greens with blood orange and shaved fennel. My favorite would probably have to be like an Italian or a hoagie, capicola, pickled vegetables, crusty bread. It's got that nice lemony, zesty character that just gets you ready for the next bite. Ultimate pairing for me is this dish called bosom, which is this like big pork shoulder with like salt and brown sugar. We also call it candy pork in my house and a little like scallion ginger sauce. It's like lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, and it's just perfection. My other top choice was like a hot dog. Like just have a hot dog and have an allagash white. You don't need to dress it up. There's something about mussels with beer especially the white, that is just so good. I feel like it goes really well with different soft cheeses that aren't too dominant, but then also with like spicy Indian food. So I think it's just really versatile. I could imagine like something like um, like lemon meringue pie. That would be really nice. Pairing Allagash White with carrot cake is a thing of beauty. This maybe it sounds really boring, but pepperoni pizza. I feel like after a long week, having like a nice warm pepperoni pizza and a cold Allagash White is just like you made it. Like you did your week. You deserve this pizza. You deserve this beer. It's perfect in summer. It's perfect in winter. I haven't really found a flavor that I don't think works really well with Allagash White. (laughs) Yeah, so not only do I drink it while I cook. I often cook with it. 
So if I'm creating some kind of stew, I'll add a little bit of Allagash White to it. A lot of people use Allagash White in like a fried fish batter. Anywhere where you can add like a spritz of lemon or a spritz of lime, that could be the beer. We are very food-minded here at Allagash, obviously. <laughs> and I think because of that, Allagash White is kind of subtle in a way that not all beers are, and I think that makes it very food-friendly. I think it tends to unlock qualities in the food that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily notice. Like it's not too hoppy or it's not too sweet, so it sits right in the middle and sort of brings the flavors of the dish to life. If you ask anyone here at Allagash, we're pretty much all stands for this beer. We love it so much because every time you have it, you pick up something new. Every time you come back to it, you're reminded like, oh wow, yeah, that's really good. This is Jason Perkins again. Just want to say thanks to everyone at Allagash for sharing. You can try Allagash White at home, too. Head to Allagash.com slash locator to find Allagash White near you. For 21 plus only, please drink responsibly. Allagash Brewing Company, Portland, Maine. I'm Christopher Kimball. This is a special episode of Milk Street Radio. Over the years, Sarah and I, as well as our guests, have had a lot to say about Julia Child. Here are a few moments now, starting with this clip from January 2022. So, Chris, recently I saw the um, Julia Child documentary called Julia that was done by the same people who did the RBG one. It's a great documentary, mainly just because Julia was so great and it's so much fun to watch. But uh, I saw an interview with the two directors, two women, and the food in this is amazing. Susan Spungen did all the food. She's the same person who did the food for Julie and Julia. And you just are so hungry by the time the thing is over. And so the two directors were interviewed, and they were asked what was their favorite dish. And they both said the same thing, which is Julia apparently made roast beef a lot. I did not know that, but just good old-fashioned. I, I had roast at her house. Roast leg of lamb, she liked that a lot. Well, yeah. lamb makes sense. I yeah. just didn't know about the roast beast, as we call it in my house. Uh, I remembered salad niçoise. You know, every time we, we had lunch, it was salad niçoise. But when she made the roast beef, she would cook up some boiling potatoes and then peel them and then scrape them with the side of a fork and throw them back into the roasting pan while the oh. roast rested. So they get a great... So that grating right. on the outside of the potatoes right. made them get a crust and absorb the fat mm. in a way they wouldn't have. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow. I missed that. Yeah. Did That's... you see the documentary? No, oh, did not. Yeah. Well, I never knew about that. Huh. But both of these directors who, they're not cooks first and foremost, said that was something mm. they just started doing. I thought that was fascinating. Well, the few times I did go over there for dinner, the food was, you know, basic we had boiled new potatoes and caviar and wine one night <laughs> or a leg of lamb, you know, roast leg of lamb and some potatoes or whatever. It was very straightforward. Yeah, wasn't fancy. Food. I remember once she had a book party for a friend of hers who had written a gardening book. And she had, you know, Swedish meatballs and like melted grape jelly <laughs> with toothpicks. Wow. You know, Swedish meatballs. Yeah. And I was going like, this is so 1956. Yeah. But it was, you know— that was kind of her milieu, right? Yeah. She grew up, you know, outside of L.A., and so that was part of who she was. She did have that American thing, too, 
and we forget we always think about fancy French food. Yeah. But I, I like the simplicity of it. The kitchen was never a mess. That's what I love about a great cook. It's just there's not too much. It's just right. Everything's, you know, done and yeah. simple. And you can sit there and enjoy the alcohol and the conversation, which is why you're there. Right. Right. Absolutely so, for the conversation. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's one of the reasons I still love Julia. Yes. That was Sarah Moulton. Next up, it's actor and author Stanley Tucci from our interview in November 2021. Going back to the movie world for a moment. In Julie and Julia, uh, you play Paul, child. I, I knew him a little bit in his later years. He was a very, very quiet guy by that time because Julie obviously was such a superstar. And, yeah. But but I gather, based upon reading a little bit about him and, and your role, he was quite an impressive person in his own right. Yeah, he was quite interesting. I mean, he was, he was, a, he was kind of a renaissance man. Uh, he was a photographer. He was a painter. He was an expert in, in judo. He was a cultural and diplomatic liaison. He was a real gourmand. And, you know, that was probably maybe like the most perfect marriage ever. <laughs> so there we were in China, just friends having dinner. And, <clears throat> and it turned out to be Julia. It turned out to be Julia all along. Julia, you are the butter to my bread and the breath to my life. I love you, darling girl. Before you started production, you called Meryl and said, "Let's we need to cook together. Was that just for fun, or you thought that was helpful training for the movie? It was just helpful. I mean, I think just doing some activity that is akin to what you're going to be doing in the film or whatever it is, it can be very helpful. Uh, and she agreed, and we cooked from Julia Child's cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And we um, cooked Blanquette de Beau. Meryl made a tart tatin, and I tried to make some sort of, I don't know, some artichoke thing, but I kind of messed it up. It wasn't very good. <laughs> that was Stanley Tucci. In February 2021, I spoke with writer Alice Randall about her connection to Julia. Alice, you, you studied with Julia Child in the 70s. Um, I didn't know that. Could you just talk about that? That was one of my greatest life experiences. Uh, the opposite of Caroline, I grew up in a house with only three cookbooks. Only one that I got from the family, which was a joy of cooking. And somehow or another from a library, I got a uh, Craig Claiborne menu cookbook. Mm -hmm. And actually from a friend's mother, I got Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And as a little girl from about fifth grade up, I cooked my way through those cookbooks. I first met Julia Child also in Detroit on the television. I was, my parents were very busy people. I was often left in front of the television and I found my way to Julia Child. So when I arrived at Harvard, I knew that she lived in Cambridge. And I think my sophomore year, back in those days when you had telephone books, I cold called Julia Child. And I said, I had loved all of her books and cooked through one or two of them fully, and I wanted to work with her. She invited me over to the house, and she was so compassionate. And we, I worked one-on-one -on -one with her for an entire semester for a grade uh, at Harvard. 
in her home. That was Alice Randall. Finally, here's author Dory Greenspan in February 2017. Just going back to something Julia told you, quote, Julia told me to always wear lipstick, and I do. So that was your... (laughs) That was your, your, your takeaway from all those years of working with Julia Child. Great. Actually, not only did Julia tell me always to wear lipstick, but she took me to Walgreens and bought me the lipstick that she wore, which was 99 cents at the time. And it was like a, it was the lipstick version of a mood ring. You put it on. I think it, I can't remember. Maybe it was green in the tube. And you put it on, and it turned whatever color it felt it should turn on your lips. Mine turned a hideous orange <laughs> and lasted for 24 hours. <laughs> Do you have any stories about working with Julia and about some of the recipes? It was such a remarkable experience for me. So this was the book that was to accompany Julia Child's PBS series, Baking with Julia. And so there were 26 bread bakers and pastry chefs who came to Julia's house on Irving Street in Cambridge. And we shot there. And so we would have it was be this great rotation of chefs. We would shoot in the morning, and while we were shooting, somebody would be down in the basement prepping for the following morning shoot. And we would all meet for lunch. And on a nice day, we shot during the summer. We would be outdoors, and the lunches were catered. And Julia would always say, "You can do whatever you want, just no pasta salad." <laughs> and we went through three caterers because. Pasta salad kept turning up, and Julia was serious about that. When I first met Julia, the very first time, it was at an event at BU, and we all, everybody who had been part of the event was having dinner together, and Julia said, sit with me, and I said, of course. And during dinner, she said, have you ever seen the Dan Aykroyd Saturday Night Live skit, you know, where Dan Aykroyd imitates me? I remember that, yeah. Well, I said, Julia, I think I'm probably the only person in America who's never seen it. And she stood up and did the entire routine. (laughs) So I got to watch Julia imitating Dan Aykroyd imitating Julia. It was, she had just the best sense of humor. She had a spectacular sense of humor, but she was also very serious about teaching. I mean, she took the teaching very seriously. I remember Jeff Drummond was her producer on this and many other shows. And he told me that when she took a bite of, remember that brioche tart in that book? Oh, I remember it With that so white sauce, well. the secret sauce. It was Nancy Silverton's recipe. And, and Jeff said to me, when she bit into it, she started tearing up. And at first yes. he thought it was because it was too hot and she'd burned her mouth. But then she re- he realized that it was a taste memory. And it was so good that Julia, you know, we just went back in time. And, and that's, I guess, food at its best, right? That just touched her so and it brought back all of France for her. I remember one day she called me and she said, do you have a bread machine? And I said, nope. She said, I think you should have one. I said, Julia, I'm never going to use a bread machine. And she said, that's the wrong attitude. She said, you should get a bread machine because you have to be curious about what it's like and what you can do with it. I'm getting a bread machine this morning and you will too. 
And I did. Julia just wanted to know everything. She was curious about the world. Julia said to me one day when we were working, aren't we lucky? And I thought, well, I'm pretty lucky. I'm here working with you. And she said, we're lucky because we work in food. And that means that we'll always be learning something new. For the rest of our lives, we'll learn. That was Julia. That was Dory Greenspan, baker and cookbook author, most recently, Dory's Cookies. Chatting with Dory Greenspan reminded me that famous people are rarely what you imagine. Julia Child, imitating Dan Aykroyd, imitating Julia, is not what the casual viewer of Julia's TV shows might expect, or Julia buying 99-cent lipstick from Walgreens. What is not hard to imagine is Julia saying, aren't we lucky? Yes, Julia, we are. All of us who work in food, who cook for a living, who get to argue about recipes all day, we are, in fact, the lucky ones. And, as a Buddhist monk I once met said, quote, enjoy your luck, nothing lasts forever. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Milk Street Radio. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know, wonderful pistachios have become my go-to snack. Now, I could list all the health benefits. They're a good source of protein, fiber, and unsaturated fats. But for me, flavor comes first, and that's why it's pistachios, not peanuts, in our household. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors and sizes, including sea salt and vinegar, chili roasted, and smoked barbecue. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.